Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Sazza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, theme of the day changes. We're going to talk about West Virginia basketball, maybe changing its outlook on the season by changing its starting lineup, changing some of its player combinations, football, changing its staff. Finally have 10 assistant coaches here. West Virginia set to hire Tony Washington, as you reported last night. Funny story about that we can share toward the finish. But we talk a lot about football, especially when there's football news. Let's change. Talk about basketball. Seven-game losing streak over. A win against a now last-place Iowa State team. And then, I don't know. I I don't know if that's starting to make or break sequence of the season. But certainly, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Kansas State is a manageable stretch for a team that had the exact opposite for about a month before that. Trouble is, back-to-back road games Saturday, Monday against the Cowboys and the Wildcats. I do think if they pull one or two wins out of this, then you can keep the dream alive. If they go 0-2 Saturday, Monday, this is probably over. I think that's a fair assumption there, that that if they can't win at least one, I mean, it's almost... I. It might be to the point where it has to be too, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. is it that dire, or is it? I mean, if you're if you go one and one, then you're starting to talk about, you know, finishing on like a four or five game winning streak, getting a couple wins in the conference tournament, just to be in the NCAA tournament. So it it, it might be a needing two wins kind of situation. If not, you're going to leave yourself in a position where you got to beat Kansas. Which at home, sure, I think Kansas is three and six of the Coliseum. You can do that. And then the thing is after that, the games again, it's not it's not Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech. These are winnable games. Trouble is they have another Saturday, Monday on the road after the one coming up. And those are those are hard. And especially the one late in the season is gonna be a tricky one because that wasn't initially planned. That's part I believe that's part of the makeup from the TCU cancellation, correct? So that's Yeah, hard. that's next next week, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's take a deep breath, you know, enjoy your win, but then go out and do this thing again that's been that hard for you for a long, long time. Feels like eight conference wins would do it, though, don't you think? Oh yeah, trouble is they have three right now, <laughs> right? Well, I and you look at the rest of it: one, two, three, four, five, six. I mean, I, I guess all of them are winnable. West Virginia hasn't really, truly been. I mean, the Kansas game was a blowout eventually, but it was not at halftime. So they've been competitive in basically every game up into the second half. So all of them are technically winnable. But, I mean, you got two games against teams that you've already beaten, two games against TCU, who is – I'm not sure. That's the team I, I, I can't figure out right now Same. in this conference. Uh, Oklahoma, again, that was a game that was – very winnable, but but the Sooners played really well. West Virginia played bad, uh, very poorly, and and this one's going to be at Norman. But uh, Texas and Kansas at home. So this is let's just say this: this last stretch of the season is much more favorable of a schedule than what West Virginia's played for the last month, month and a half, because that was that was brutal, brutal. One, two, three for five games against teams in the top 15, top 20, depending on when you, when they were ranked, um, and, and six if you go all the way back to Texas, and two of those games without your best player, one of them without your best defender, 
couple of them with, you know, your best player coming back from COVID. So there's, it sounds like a lot of excuses and it kind of is, but that still doesn't change the fact that that was one of the toughest schedules in all of college basketball right there for West Virginia. And sure, maybe could have been, should have been two and five, one and six, and oh and seven certainly hurts a lot more. They would have a hard time getting in the field though if they don't if they lose to both Kansas and Texas because then you're zero and two against the top four teams in the conference. Right. Um, sure, you may finish. I don't even think they can finish eight and ten. They had to get one of them. How many games are left, Chris? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No, they can go. They can okay. go five and three, yeah. and and lose to Kansas, Texas, and you know maybe on the road at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to your point, then then you're zero and two still against the top four teams, and um, yeah, that's that's tough. That's but that's that said, that said, let's go over some history here. I wrote about this a while ago, and since it's about history, it still applies. In the entire history of the NCAA tournament, only fifty six teams were at large participants with a league record at or below five hundred. Mm-hmm. Not good, right? No. But 21 of them have been in the past three tournaments. Right. So it's growing that way. Um, 35 in all the years before that, 21 in the one since then. Now, if you get to nine wins, you're in. I, I don't care. That's that's six more wins out of the final eight games. That's nine wins in the Big 12. Well, yeah, five more wins in the final eight games. Um, nine in the Big 12. So don't even worry about that. So eight and 10, seven, 11. There is even a recent seven, 11 that you could think about. 7-11 would leave West Virginia at 18 and 13. Okay, not impressive. Probably have to get like a Kansas or a Texas in there just to be careful. But still, um, it still means you go five and five in your last ten. But again, the right combination of wins, maybe it happens. Oklahoma made it at seven and 11 in the 2018-2019 season, and they didn't have Buddy Hield or Trey Young, so it's not like it was a star power pick. So seven eleven, you could do it. Um, of those 21, I. I think 10 of them were 500 teams. The other 10 had eight conference wins. But that eight is even inflated because you have a lot of leagues now that are doing 20 games. So theoretically, what's the difference between an eight and 12 in the Big Ten and a seven and 11 in the Big 12? That's one of those things that the committee could have to figure out. But if you get the right wins, you do the convincing yourself there. So combination of quality and quantity but i do think if they get if they get to eight conference wins i think they have a really good chance help yourself by winning a game in there too and and again if you don't finish top two you're playing that first day of the big 12 tournament and actually let's go there huggins said this the other day and i didn't realize this because they're playing oklahoma state oklahoma state does not play in the big 12 tournament apparently not so what happens to that team they, they don't get a win <laughs> i have no idea that would be west virginia's luck <laughs> Get matched up against Oklahoma State. Get a get a bye. Essentially, I don't know how they're going to do that. They um, they can't give a team that finishes across from Oklahoma State a bye. I have to, I really have to look into that. I'm just looking at my notes right now about things to talk about, and I did not answer that one. So I'll look into that. Maybe I'll put that in the 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 text below this when we post this online. But could be could be interesting situation there. If you don't get the win, but you actually advance, and all of a sudden you're like, well, I needed I needed that one more win. And certainly Oklahoma State's a winnable game. Let's get into that, Chris. This team has had West Virginia's number, has played harder against them at the Coliseum than at home. You say TC is a team you don't get. I don't get them either. I have no idea how or why Oklahoma State's trying this hard, except that they're proud, I guess. Yeah. But they're not going anywhere. They're not playing particularly well right now. They're one and four in their last five, but they're in every game. They're a little bit like West Virginia 
and then the fact that these weren't blowouts and everything, but it's such a strange situation where you have guys who are at the end who could be somewhere else and who know that no matter where they are next year, they're not going to be playing in any postseason this year, too. I don't know. This is a dangerous game because they could just say every game is their postseason now and let's raise hell and do something about it. Or they could just be like walking dead and West Virginia rolls them. Or West Virginia could think this team doesn't have anything to play for, therefore they're not going to try hard. And they go into Stillwater and get smoked because that's also possible, too. I, I was looking at trying to figure out what happened in that game against Oklahoma State the last time West Virginia played them, a 70-60 to 60 win. And that was, it really wasn't even that close because I remember it in my mind. I think it, I think it was my first point in my you know three immediate thoughts after the game mm-hmm. was that that was the most boring game ever, which was a good thing, I said at the time, because it, it, there always seem to be these games that West Virginia plays in where they jump out to a double-digit lead and then they go completely ice cold. Next thing you know, it's a six-point game, four-point game, or it's tied, and they're gonna, it's got to sweat it out, even if they end up winning. This game wasn't really like that. They, they finished on a cold streak, uh, no field goals in the last four-plus minutes. So it went from a, I believe it was a 17, 19-point lead for West Virginia with like four minutes left to a 10-point game. So the 10 points is even not that close. And that was the last time West Virginia broke even or did better against the opposing team in points in the paint. That's what I remember about that game. When I was looking it up, I had been looking up points in the paint. Uh, I believe it was last week and how West Virginia compared. And they were not even close in a lot of the games and well behind, uh, you know, every single time they lost. They were 26 to 8, 32 to 12, stuff like that. This one was 28 to 28. And again, West Virginia was leading in that category right till the final seconds. So, um that was something that I, those were the two things that it took from the last time these two teams matched up was was the points in the paint and that West Virginia got a lead and held a lead in that one. And Avery Anderson was not literally on fire. Right. That helps. He had a terrible game. Um, will it happen again? Is he better at home? I don't know. But he he obviously had a memorable game against West Virginia last year and was just kind of below average this past game. That makes a difference on him. Went from 30-something points to, I, I don't know, do you have the box in front of you? Less than 10, I think. It just mm-hmm. really struggled. Wasn't shooting very Nine well. Nine points, yeah. Yeah, and, and likely he's on a perimeter guy. So if your perimeter guy isn't playing very well, Anderson, then your guy who gets inside and kicks it out is going to be very effective. They don't have great post play either. Um, they have big guys. The Boone brothers have been good against West Virginia. One of them always has a good game, it seems like. Uh, they have a shot blocker inside. So that's cool. But what does West Virginia want or expect to get from its interior offense? A lot and not much, you know, <laughs> like they're going to try to do stuff inside, but that's not a pillar of their offensive attack, um, kind of a perimeter wing team. And and if we saw anything on Tuesday that is encouraging moving forward, sure, it was a win that ends a losing streak, keeps Bob Huggins from a career-long skid. But also, we had a new starting lineup, Kobe Johnson in there, Polly Polly Cap in there, and a lineup that's not brought about by injury or illness or anything. The only other times they changed the season were Taz Sherman's absences and Sean McNeil's one game absence. So this was obviously need based and that they needed to change their luck, but also Huggins said they needed to match up differently. And then sure, Iowa state, not very big. 
nor is Oklahoma State. They essentially play four guards to start the game. How long they'll go with that, I don't know. And again, you're one and four in your last five, and you started the same lineup. Do you change things? I don't know. But Kobe, McNeil, Sherman, Bridges, Polycap. I think people have been pleading for a change, and I know this is a lot they have been talking about for a while. Didn't get a lot of run, but it was a change, and then saw some positives and negatives with that lineup, but also subsequently with some other players and combinations. It's a change, though. It's worth discussing. What did you like? What did you not like? Um, big fan to start. I, I think I think you and I even called for this on the podcast. Uh, not specifically, you know, singling out uh, specific players here, but we were talking about how the bench scoring for this team. What was the number? It was like if you added Polycap, Kobe, Seth Wilson, if you added the second five, which included Gabe and Kerrigan, outside of Curry, it was like they all combined for about nine points a game. And so you were really kind of putting yourself in a bad spot there where you had absolutely nothing offensively coming off the bench except for Curry. So you could we, we were talking about changes. We couldn't move Curry to the starting lineup in in our simulation, you're in our simulation, because there was no scoring off the bench. And one of the changes that, that I think I suggested was moving Polycap to the starting lineup in place of Cottrell, because I felt, one, Cottrell, Cottrell's been struggling, but I also feel like he does have the basics. You can see the fundamental, the the the, the, the foundation of a good offensive player and maybe if he's coming off the bench, finding the right matchups, going up against guys that might be a little more tired, or they can utilize him in better situations where they can put him on the court at the same time as another big man so he can truly play that four, that stretch four that he's probably more inclined to play, that I liked it. I wanted Polycap in that starting lineup. Um, the Kobe Johnson one at part is really what caught me off guard. Uh, I Not that I think Kobe's been bad. I think he he's somebody that I've been calling for to get more playing time for a while, but he got 11 minutes, which is about his average. I think he was averaging like nine minutes a game. So a little more maybe, but the start caught me off guard. I, I, I like it, but okay. Hmm. No, I, no, I was fine with playing Kobe Johnson early in the game because yes, the offense would really sputter. I think in reserve, if you did not have Curry still kind of think that, um, I don't know. It just that it just felt like that if you put all that offense in the one in one 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 group, one lineup, one canister, whatever, you're going to be limited in reserve because they don't have a lot of scorers. And he's a guy who can come in and without a plan and without great teammates around him, he can get his head down and get in the lane and do it. I just didn't like starting him. And also, just this is, this is almost factual at this point because I've said it too. His offense was was kind of coming at the expense of the offense around him too a little bit. And just for a snapshot. They got a good thing going on that first half on Tuesday. He comes in, Huggins, <laughs> they get a great like defensive stand where they block a couple shots, they save a ball in bounds. The ball finds Curry, Curry's first possession, I think. And then Huggins stands up off the bench, one finger in the air, spins it around. That means run motion. Curry doesn't even get a ball screen, just goes downhill and draws a foul. Or he might have turned it over, I'm not even sure. But like it, it just wasn't what they wanted at that moment, but he called his number and went. And I think that's kind of the the tug of war they're having with Curry is that your offense is going to be there with five to ten seconds left in the shot clock, but not five to ten seconds into the shot clock. Let's run our motion. Let's wear teams down. Let's get four or five guys 
feeling pretty good about what they're doing, passing the ball, moving, making things happen. Kobe's an analytic darling, though. And I did not realize this until we had Evan Miyakawa. By the way, impeccable timing on that podcast. Yes, yes, it was. He was great, and then everything he said pretty much came to fruition, including the starting lineup. But he was a big Kobe Johnson guy, and I looked at it, and all the numbers do match him up. I mean, small sample, but he is one of the more um, statistically impressive players in the Big 12 when you come from the perspective he does with impact on the lineups, offense, defense, the players around him relative to who he's playing. Now, the relative to who he's playing is interesting because maybe you think he's getting in against second stringers or blowouts. He's not. West Virginia has blown a lot of people out. And he's playing in Big 12 games. He's been in just about every game, I think. So starting in made a lot of sense, and it didn't really crinkle up everything by, for example, putting Curry in and saying, hey, we're putting you in to give the team a better start at the beginning of the game. And then all of a sudden he goes off script or he does his own thing. So I was okay with that. It made some sense, especially once the light was turned on to Kobe Johnson. Pauly Cap was great for, I think, the exact reasons that you want. And did he do a lot of good things? No, I think he was one for two. He blocked two shots. He had three rebounds. But that's the one guy who screens. Like, if you watch Cottrell and Damone Kerrigan screen, they really don't. They just kind of get square with the, per- the person who they're trying to screen, but they don't really put their body in there, which Cottrell, I think, could be a really, really dangerous screener in time because he's not small. Um, and just his pick and pop would be lethal if he gets confident and effective with it. But Polycap's the one guy who does screen and who does dive hard to the basket, so I thought that wasn't a bad idea. He at least makes you work if you're going to screen. Um, it just seemed like a good thing, and then Sherman gets going early. Kobe hits a three. Seth Wilson comes in. Um, still on the team, by the way. <laughs> I know he had seven points and he didn't play much after that, but like that was promising. It just seemed like everything worked. The thing that concerned me was, all right, what are you going to get from Cottrell, Osaboyan, and um, Kedrian Johnson? Osaboyan had just a forgettable game where he kind of came apart and just couldn't help himself in certain situations. I thought Kedrian Johnson was pretty good when a situation called for him to be good. Because he was dealt a different situation for sure. And then Cottrell, don't know. Doesn't have to be good, though, if he's not starting. And I just, I kind of like him coming off the bench. And I don't think he's a sunk asset. I think that he can be a really good player if cast right. And I'm trying everything I can to cast that guy right. Because there aren't a lot of people like him. I know everybody's down on him. But you've got a guy who's 6'9", excuse me, 6'10", maybe 6'11", I don't know. But let's just say tall. And has perimeter skill and has some offensive skill. And if you can get something out of that, I just you got to find a way to do it. Was he miscast as a starter? Maybe. But now that you got him in a different spot, can you make something with him? Um, and he played a lot of the four. You're right. I mean, he was playing with Osaboyan or with Polycap. He wasn't playing with Bridges or with four other wing slash guards. He was a four most of the game. It didn't work, but it looks like they have a plan for him in that regard. I like that. I did too. I like, I, and I like the finally giving Seth Wilson a little bit of run there, especially in that first half, because just a little, it's just a little, I mean, the, I wonder if Huggins went back and listened to what he said after the Texas tech game and thought that was a terrible excuse because it was a terrible excuse for not playing Seth Wilson. His, his reasoning was he's not a point guard and who am I going to put him in for? He's our best shooter, but am I going to put him in for bridges or McNeil? the two guys who went a combined one of 12 in the second half. I mean, you could try something else. And the point guards, again, he's capable. It's not like West Virginia is running some complicated offense where you need some, you know, Chris Paul-type point guard out there. You just need somebody who can dribble and not dribble off their foot. And I think Seth Wilson is fully capable of doing that. So it was shocking to me that he was not getting – that 
a little more of a chance in that game, especially with how bad the team was shooting, especially with the way Huggins had been talking him up recently. And so to see him get a few minutes there um, early against Iowa State, you know, was I mean, it was only six minutes in the first half, but seven points, nice little spark from the team, from, from him for the team. Just to circle back on Kobe Johnson, Evan Miyakawa has the adjusted team efficiency margin, which is the difference between offense and defense efficiency when one player is on the court. Mm-hmm. Kobe leads the Big 12 in players who have played 200 possessions. That's not a small sample size, and that's indicative of probably should get this guy on the court more. It, he he fits really well. Like, I test here, because you look at that starting five. I mean, Bridges, Sherman, and McNeil are going to be in the starting five. Like that's, you know, they're, or they're your three main guys. Maybe not if you want to get into the whole, bring them off the bench, but whatever they're, they're closing five, if you will, they're going to be your guys. So what do you need around those three? I think that's where you need to center your, your thought process here. And with those three, you need somebody who doesn't need the ball in their hands all the time. You don't necessarily need another scorer, but maybe somebody who can, somebody who can rebound, somebody who can play defense near the rim. And that's, you're looking at Polycap, you're looking at Gabe, you're looking at Kerrigan. Um, but then also somebody who can switch on defense, who can do a, a bunch of different things, kind of, you know, like a Swiss Army knife type of player. And that's exactly, exactly what Kobe Johnson is and always has been. That's what he was in high school. He was the kind of guy who I believe his senior year, his his averages were like 17, 6, and 6. So, you, you know, he, he's getting he's getting some points, but he's getting rebounds. He's getting six rebounds, six assists. He's getting two steals and a block every single game. And that's the kind of guy you need as your fifth starter with those other three guys on the court. Yeah. And also interesting, too, was he played off the ball with Sherman some. And I believe he played in some lineups with Keydrian Johnson. So there's some two in there as well. And granted, is he going to be the two when Taz Sherman's in the game? No. And was Taz, I don't know, ad-libbing? Maybe. Taz got a lot of rebounds and also made himself available after people got rebounds because I think they wanted to get into offense quick. They had a good thing going, but Taz playing with the ball is like a guard, a point guard is is pretty interesting because he can. And you tilt your defense if you got if if you're if you're focused on him with the ball and not running through screens and running through traffic and trying to get open, it's a different task for a defense there. So little things can can just make a big difference there. If it's a starting lineup change, if it's Taz in a different role, if it's bringing. Um, Wilson into the game early and letting him cook for a couple possessions. I mean, he he took a heat check shot and he made it and it spooked um, Iowa State into taking a timeout. That was good. Now, where else are they getting contributions from? Gabe's not going to play like that again, I don't think. Maybe he will. Actually, he probably will. But on the whole, he's a much better player than that. Kerrigan didn't think he was bad. I think he had a basket. Again, three rebounds, three blocks. That's okay. Like, you're not looking for great things out of that. So you're you're kind of getting contributions, especially if Keidre and Johnson's going to play like he did. Um, Curry dominated the second half with the ball. I think he drew eight fouls. He was ten for eleven at the free throw line. Is that the best recipe? No, but the way that game was going, I mean, that, that's like being like an air raid team and saying, "Wait a minute, they can't stop the run," and you just say, "Forget it, we're not an air raid team. Let's run the ball," and you run it because they were calling fouls like every possession. And he's good enough at getting by a guy and getting some spacing and drawing a foul again eight times, eleven free throws. That'll do. And their offense wasn't great in the second half. Some of it was the officiating, I think. But some of it was like, who cares? You got a way to get points, you can do it. So just if they can find different ways to get points, that's what they need. Like if they can if they can make their offense a little bit better, they're fine. And their numbers when they hit, you know, 70 points are pretty good. And their numbers when the opponent hits 70 points are not good. So, hey, 79 points, you're most in the Big 12. 
led by 19, I believe. That was their largest mm-hmm. lead in Big 12 play. I think Oklahoma State was the last time they had led a team by that much. That's that's pretty important. And again, how dramatic is it? I don't know. It's up to you. Do you believe that Texas Tech was like a one-off thing? Or is this a team that's maybe more capable of shooting 24% for a game and four for 32 and a half than it is, you know, shooting 50, 50, 90 like they did three days later, too. So which one is more like them? I don't know. But like what they did on Tuesday is more likely to result in a 50, 50, 90 game than it is a, you know, 24, 10, 65, 70 percent what it was. So that's that's a good a good sign, I think. But you're looking at eight and two when they hit 70. Six and seven when they're under 70. And when opponents at 70, they're eight and one. When opponents are under 70, they're one and 13. So, hey, keep your team under 70. Keep the other team under 70. Try to get to 70. You got a good chance of winning. And it looks like that they're just kind of tilting a little bit to offense. Some ideas, some lineups that get them there. It was, this was something that when I went through on that Texas Tech game for that second half, that four of 32, looked at the shots and, you know, broke it down. Was a good shot, bad shot. Um, terrible your good shot for Bob Huggins, good shot for me, which I admit might not be a good shot for a lot of coaches out there. And then just a plain out, just flat out bad shot. No, Chris, no, 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 might as well turn it over. Yes, might as well turn it over. Top, right? <laughs> that was that, great. That's right. I think it was, you know, the 32 shots, it was 13 good, 13 decent, and six might as well turn it over. Um, and so th- that kind of brought me that because. I'll admit, after watching that second half and seeing those stats, seeing those numbers, and seven-game losing streak, my first thought was, this is it. This season's over because this offense is beyond repair. Um, there's nothing that can be done. This is going to get bad. It's going to get worse. But after charting those shots, looking at them, my silver lining thought was, hey, maybe it's really not that bad because they were without their best offensive player, the guy that really makes that offense move. They did not do anything. Uh, you, you talked about the the finger in the air motion offense. There was no motion. There was no screening. I believe I got in like five, over five minutes in before there was a true screen from West Virginia. There was like 11 possessions without a screen. Um, they didn't know how to run their plays. They were, I, I, I did that video with two separate plays and both times somebody was in the wrong spot and had other players yelling at them to get to the other spot. With all of that going bad, West Virginia still had, of those 32 shots, again, 13 very good shots that any coach out there would take as a good shot. 13 coaches are shots that maybe half the coaches in the country think is a good shot that I would personally mark as a decent shot or a good shot. And, and so you're talking 26 out of 32 were good shots. They just didn't make them. Now, that's an excuse not a lot of people want to hear. Like, hey, the shots just didn't fall. That's... <laughs> You hear Bob Huggins say that a lot, and, and that was especially true in this Texas Tech game. So that was my silver lining was terrible offense, guys not knowing what plays to run, no screens, no best player, yet they still had open looks. They still had good looks on offense. And we know that some of these guys can shoot. Not all of them, some of them. And so I thought maybe it would turn around now 50-50-90, as you put it, for this Iowa State game. Maybe not that every time, but certainly not four of 32 like it was in the second half. Yeah, maybe you're saying it was an overreaction. Maybe Bob Huggins didn't have to make all these changes, and maybe he'll put the genie back in the bottle and just go back with a normal five. No, 
on Saturday. No, that's, no? That's, that's not where I'm going with that. Let's shift to football. Uh, before we do, shout out to Ari Temkin from Big 12 Radio on Sirius XM. Mm-hmm. Um, this dude gets up and goes to work at 3 in the morning and listens to our podcast, he says. Well, now, conversely, people put their podcast on before they go to sleep sometimes, too, just to help us get them in the mood for falling asleep, but very different. Um, so, hey, thanks for listening, Ari. I appreciate it. I, I do. I would like to, if, if Ari's listening, I would like to know, like, how, how does this work between when he picks me and when he picks you to go on the radio with him? Is this like, well, okay. is like divorced parents kind of situation where shared custody, we each get a time with, with him on the radio? We'll have to get we'll let him answer that. We put the <laughs> challenge out there. Um, it's up to him now. Let's talk football. Uh, yep. Chris, I'm mad at you. Uh-oh. I've been digging through weeds and trying to figure out who they're going to hire for a receivers coach. Uh, you know the who's and, and the, 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 the how's of how I've tried to go about this. I can talk about why I haven't really done a whole lot within a second. But it doesn't matter because I'm enjoying a chicken wing last night, glass of water, all true, uh, with some friends who were in town for a couple of days, about 8.30. And all of a sudden, Chris says, I know who the receiver's coach is. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) (laughs) And you were right. So, hey, kudos to you. Kudos to us, I suppose, as well. Uh, A name had heard only maybe once or twice. um, Tony Washington coming from Coastal Carolina, barring something completely unforeseen and unexpected right now. And while we're in the mood for shout outs, NDL54 on our board, a VIP member, just threw out a random list of names that he had researched, and he had Tony Washington at the end. I don't know if it was alphabetical or sentimental or what, but he had him on the list. So, hey, good for you. You could do my job now if you want to, I guess. But, Chris, you did the job. Um, what do we think about the person whose job it is now is to coach West Virginia's wide receivers and inside uh, receivers too, presumably? Yeah. As Let's start with the how because I think I you know, found out the same, as you said, last night, and I'm told that it was rather quick that he was on the initial list that they had reached out to. But that I don't know when the interview happened, but it was the the decision and the process and, and when things started moving has all with, with has all been within the last twenty four to thirty six hours, uh, maybe forty eight by the time you guys listen to this podcast. But um, as you noted, not no no contract sign. It's not totally done, but no reason to believe it's not just standard background kind of stuff. Um, as for his hire, the, the way I found out was interesting was somebody just asked me, do you know who this guy is? And kind of going on and then told me who was going to be hired. And then this person, I would say a capital S source, oh, yeah. uh, then started asking me questions about him, trying to get information on Washington, like trying to figure out what kind of coach he is, who he is, what he's known for, what the connection to WVU is. And... I don't know what the connection is to the staff. I mean, he spent some time at Louisville, and there's some kind of tangential uh, connections there. But he's a yeah, Shadon Brown. But he's he's a young up and comer that a lot of people like, and uh, very smart guy, uh, double major in college, really looked up to by a lot of the the young coaches in the business. And I talked to somebody. Uh, down at Coastal Carolina that told me he's going to do big things and that, you know, if West Virginia can keep him for two to three years, they should be very happy that they think he is on that kind of trajectory to be, you know, I don't know if we're talking like offensive coordinator or what his eventual aspirations are for his career, but he is that highly thought of that this almost seems like a a pit stop. And I'm not trying to dampen everybody's spirits as soon as the hire's made, but that's a good thing. 
that's a good thing for a position coach that that their aspirations, their goals, and they are already looked upon even at such a young age as being somebody capable of making those kind of upward movements. That uh, it's a good thing that West Virginia hired somebody that that seemed like that. Yeah, uh, from North Carolina, played at Appalachia State, Louisville, Myrtle Beach. Do you think he fits in that recruiting thumbprint there? Do you think they'll make one for him? This is not South Florida. I think they can cover South Florida with people that have in the staff. Not a big deal. Uh, although South Florida may be a big deal, but I don't know if you could, if you could find a way to cast him right now as a recruiter. What do you think? Based on what he may be able to do and what West Virginia intends to do. Yeah, I think what's going to happen here. I'm curious. I'm I'm I have a thought because he yeah he's Carolina. He does a lot of Virginia, Maryland recruiting, but AJ Jackson also does a lot of Virginia and up 95 almost to DC recruiting. But then Shadon Brown does Maryland, which. This is this is where I go back to a conversation I had with Shadon Brown over a year ago. It was for an interview. This was on the record, so don't think anything crazy, anybody listening. But I asked him about how he had been at a few different jobs, and he had recruited a ton of different places. He had been, you know, in charge of recruiting uh, on the West Coast, down in Florida, down in or in the Mid Atlantic, in. Kentucky, he he has had his recruiting area change with basically every job. He's like kind of like a chameleon. And he told me, you know, it's it's it helps to have connections places, but it's really about relationships, getting in there, diving right in, showing that you care. And so all this brings me back that conversation makes me think, hey, why don't you stick um, Washington in the Baltimore, Maryland area? And then Brown can keep keep touching base there. You don't want to completely sever tie stuff, but Brown, with his ability to change recruiting areas so easily, so fluidly between jobs and 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 recruiting cycles, why not try him down in South Florida? Um, he, he's already got some connections down there. He's been down there for some of the visits. You know, obviously when they go down for in-home visits, and West Virginia was recruiting a couple defensive backs from down there, so he's been down there before. Um, I kind of like it. I, I think. Off the top of my head, that that would be my move is, um, I mean, Dante Wright's got Charlotte, but I think, was Jared Parker doing the other parts of the Carolinas? I can't remember now. Maybe maybe Washington picks up the other parts of the Carolinas and then takes some, some uh, DMV area and splits it with A.J. Jackson. They'll always welcome a coach's connections, too. So if he knows people in that that you know Conway Myrtle Beach area there are players there for sure yeah um and they've they've got a number of them on that coastal carolina team that are in that region too um maybe there's some fringe big 12 guys or maybe there's some bona fide big 12 guys power five guys whatever that they can get in the hallways in the classrooms now and, and get that before i don't know maybe like before clemson or south carolina or someone else does that they get those relationships started early because those are listen anytime that you can find talent and a guy can do it because he has those those business cards in his pocket so to speak hey go for it but yeah he's gonna have to fit some certain criteria there too um it's a tough one to crack because this is there's there's not a lot of connections that we talked about um and then i'm still trying to get to know harold graham harold um does not have a long history in the business hasn't made a lot of hires doesn't have a coaching tree and this is not like a neil brown coaching tree where he went out and got somebody who was on his staff this is hard, man. I'm trying to figure out who's out there and what was going on. Again, heard his name quickly and very late in the process. There are some other people there that we can probably get into too. But 
Um, no hotboard in this. I apologize. People were clamoring for the hotboard, Chris. And I just well, didn't have a lot of names, but I was getting ideas about people who were not on it or who have been on it were not going to be hired. So, yeah. for example, like Jawan Sider, guy that'd be really interested. That wasn't going to happen. Uh, Kiri Colbert, who is Harold's receivers coach of South Carolina, I think a lot of people think is going to be a really, really good assistant coach. He just got hired at Florida. That wasn't going to happen. Uh, Kevin Beard is an assistant coach at Toledo, recruited South Florida, former Miami Hurricane. Pretty good name, especially when you look at the profile that West Virginia is trying to fit someone into right now. Hey, South Florida receivers coach. Um, affordable is not the right word, but they're trying to make some things work financially. He's coming from the MAC. Hey, that's going to work. Similar to like Washington coming from the Sun Belt, it's going to work. You can make it work. Um, and then another one was Tequil Shorts. I'm pretty sure they made a run at Tequil Shorts, who's only been uh, a Division One assistant coach for less than a year now. A lot of people think highly of him. That would have been great. But I think they were going out and they were trying to get people that logically fit what they were trying to do. If there was a connection to the school, like a cider or a shorts, sure. If there was a connection to Harold, like, for example, like a Colbert, great. But you also found them just trying to figure out who's a really good young assistant coach who can come in and work hard and recruit. And as you said, if he's only here for a couple of years, that means he did good things and that you got return on your investments. So does he, because if he's moving up to some other power five job. That's kind of what the game is, especially when you're at that, you're in that spot in the pecking order of assistant coach. You'll almost certainly be the lowest paid assistant coach in the staff, but that's temporary, you know, and you climb the ladder. He's young. He'll do it. So it just seemed like that they, they had a list they went through. And then the reason this one came through is I think they want to get somebody here soon, but also he made sense. Was either first or second pick, probably not first, second, third. I don't know. But once they got him and they talked to him and they did the homework on him, this made a lot of sense for him too. And I think that West Virginia makes a lot of sense for him as well because Coastal Carolina's had a good thing for a while. They might come back a little bit just because the, the amount of talent and continuity they had this past year kind of goes away. I think a lot of people wonder how long Jamie Chadwell is going to be the head coach there. Could he hitch his wagon to Jamie Chadwell? Maybe. Who knows? But he's on a Power 5 staff now in the Big 12. A lot of guys want a job like that. There's a lot of them. You know, there's, what, 650? He's got one of them now, too, and now he's, he's in the game, and he can move around and move up, but he's got to do the work here first. We'll see. When you look at West Virginia's history of hiring like these these younger coaches, you have Xavier Dye. We'll see. But one year, gone. And then Jackson looks like he's going to be pretty good. Dante Wright looks like he's going to be pretty good. So they've got an eye for this stuff, and, and we'll see how it works. But could have been a lot easier if someone just called me or texted me like they did to you and said, hey, have you heard this guy? This is who you're going to hire. That's why I'm so mad about this, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I wasn't even searching it out, and it just kind of came, came to me. Sometimes it's pure dumb luck. Um, but the the names that you threw out there, I, I think the one that really stuck with me, the guys that you, you know you had on your unofficial private hot board, mm-hmm. and, and you were throwing them out to me um, before, was was the beard one. That just seemed to... It almost, you know, almost made too much sense, kind of thing. Like, young, young quarter or young coach got experience in the SEC, got experience in, you know, at Miami. Um, he was, he's very tied in with the recruiting stuff. I think he was a football op, director of football ops, director of player personnel at a couple different stops. He he's led like I think one of Toledo's best classes ever. Uh, one of Miami's best classes. So he knows what he's looking for in the Jimmys and Joes. And that 
as you know, I like the recruiting game, and I think that it, it, getting the right players, getting the best players is important. So I think that was a big thing for me was that that he was a, a good candidate. And now Tony Washington is going to get his chance to kind of recruit at the highest level. You know, never seen him recruit outside of Coastal Carolina because his previous stops were as a GA and quality control guy, and those guys are, let's say, not supposed to recruit uh, players. Um but, uh, you know, first time really recruiting at Coastal Carolina. And they've had a couple good classes. They've had a couple very good classes. I believe a couple four-stars from 24-7 Sports in their most recent class, um, either last class or the class before that. And, and he was tied in to at least one of them, maybe both of them. So early positive signs for his recruiting ability as well. And Sean Reagan has officially announced himself the tight ends coach. <laughs> uh, on Twitter, I guess I didn't notice this until someone shared it with me. Probably would have been yesterday afternoon, maybe last night. I'm trying to remember now. But again, great job putting the news out there. So, but we had we'd had that about I don't know about a month ago. Yeah. And listen, this is good for him because the day that Harold got hired, I was told from inside that like the expectation was he would not be moved to receivers coach, and IE would not be back. Did things change when Parker leaves? Possibly. Who cares if you're Reagan? Who cares? Like you had a value and the staff did not want him to go. I, I don't know if he would have ended up as an analyst, if he could have ended up in recruiting, whatever, but they'd like him. And now can he coach tight ends? That's an important thing. But for a guy who's who's been around offense his entire career, listen, it's different than it's different throwing passes to a tight end and catching passes as a tight end, all the blocking and the alignments and everything. But man, at some point that's your job. And I can remember talking to Cider about this before too. You know, he'd been a running backs coach, but thought that being like a quarterback's coach would be really um, important for him being an offensive coordinator, ultimately a head coach. And he's like, I'm a quarterback. How am I teaching running backs? Right. Mm-hmm. If I'm a running backs coach, I can certainly teach quarterbacks. So like those things are all important too. And what's Reagan's future here. What's Reagan's future as a coach. You know, he, I'm told he wanted to be the offensive coordinator, of Troy. That makes a lot of sense for him and, and maybe for Troy as well. They went a little bit different with their offensive coordinator hire, but he's got aspirations, but heck right now he's got a job and go out and continue to do, you know, I would, I would think, underrated recruiting it's not the most um high profile players although he had a ton to do with nico marchio but guys who come in and contribute and he gets guys that they have to fill um spots with or uh, you could probably talk more about that we have before but hey he's here now he's part of the plan too and and right now (laughs) on february 11th they have a full coaching staff signing day has come and gone signing days have come and gone you think that maybe all of the the ripples have flattened out here and this is smooth water until spring and through and then you get to worry about the things like who's quarterback uh what do these transfers do what do we do with our remaining scholarships so on and so forth and that's kind of what you do now that now they got to the point where they can actually roll up their sleeves and get to work and this is when it should be exciting yeah the uh I, i'm with you on the reagan thing I, it's strange to me that no official announcement still has yet to come out. Maybe they're still waiting on that contract. But, yeah, it, he changed his Twitter profile within the last few days. Because I think official. I, it's official. Yeah, I, yeah if, it's, if your Twitter profile is updated, it's official. Because um, I checked it last week to see if he had changed it. Because he's been recruiting and telling recruits for a month. And, we were again, like you said, we reported it a month ago. He's been telling recruits and everybody, I'm the tight ends coach. I'm your point of contact. I'm coaching tight ends. I want you, you know, offering tight ends uh, as the tight ends coach for a month now. So um, that that's a that's a good move for him because even uh, before that, when 
the Herald news happened and Reagan wasn't mentioned in the press release and we were talking about his role in the future, you pointed it out. He he is viewed as somebody that is that makes contributions to this program, that makes contributions on the recruiting trail. And and he he it would be good if he stuck around. It wasn't one of those situations where it was like, all right, let's get rid of this guy. It was he he brings things to this program. So if we can find a role for him, let's try to find it. Can't wait. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Now it's time to start some whisper campaigns about who we hear as starting quarterback. <laughs> we're, so, we're less than a month away from uh, spring football. Uh-huh. Not, right? Less than a month. I'm well, all in pres- on the. Presumably, on the we, we have not been given a start date, but. No, you have, unofficially. Recruits have. Yeah. I'm why, a, do recru- why do recruits find out everything first? It's amazing. It really is. Uh, I'm all in on the green as quarterback thing. I've been I've been down the rabbit hole with Mason Fine and Garrett Green, and I think there's a lot of legs to that. But now I, I, I can't do anything with it until we actually get to see what we get to see of spring football and put it to the test. But I, I think this is going to be wide the heck open, too. I don't know who's going to be number one, but I don't think anybody knows who's going to be number one now. And, and let's face it, with a new coordinator who coaches quarterbacks and three quarterbacks in that they got to pick from, that's that's going to be the number one story from start to finish. I don't know any way around that. So if you don't like quarterbacks, sorry, but that's going to be the predominant story for the entire 15 practices. And what is it, like seven weeks? Yeah. Wouldn't have it any other way. Anything else, Chris? Uh, I think that's it. Uh, football recruiting camps, real quick. They're up. You ready? Yeah. You're, you're renting the house. Yeah, man. I, I might bring the whole family up. Stick my kids through that camp. Who knows? Um, but you have you renewed your uh, license? Uh, actually, the class is Saturday morning, so I'm going to fit that in before the game against Oklahoma State. It's from Good. 10 to 12. Good. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially just me like walking around with uh, my sunglasses on. This is this is this is like hard work, Chris. But like <laughs> I go into a big room and I walk around with my sunglasses on and a notepad in my pocket. Yeah. And like there's a period where your arms are crossed and then not crossed. And then uh-huh. there's a period where, like, you have to look up and write something really fast. And then there's a period where you go over and you find someone a little bit taller than you and say, that guy's good, right? <laughs> and then once I do that, I'm good. I'm fine. Practically it got hours. it down. Yeah. It, it's it's long. You have to do it for a long time. Got to have comfy shoes. Uh-huh. First one, Memorial Day. So, Holy cow. Yeah, <laughs> really? is there a, I, I've never had a May recruiting camp. I actually, when someone told me about that it was before it went up on the site i was like are you sure and i said i hope so because we're about to make the brochures and put it up on the website and because i've never heard of a may a may camp before but it just just the way the calendar works out that i guess contact period is not contact period but quiet period so the guy people can come to campus and and camp and visit and all that stuff there has to be Starts. a barbecue attached to that, right? Right, yeah. I was going to say, I, ho- I hope we get to do the recruiting camp, and then there's going to be hot dogs, burgers, uh, cooler. Who knows? I hope so. I, that's, oh man, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> that's great. Well, check us out. Plenty of things. We have Bob Huggins today talking about whatever he wants to talk about, whatever we try to get out of him, and he's willing to give us. That'll be um, later this morning, previewing Oklahoma State. That's a 2 p.m. game believe it's on big 12 now maybe it's not 
Great preparation by me today because now I can't pull up the schedule here too. Hey, it's a 2 p.m. game on Saturday. And again, probably have to win it if you want to have postseason aspirations. Otherwise, anytime you don't get a win right now, you kind of add one you have to get maybe toward the end of the schedule or by surprise. End of the schedule, I mean Big 12 tournament. Um, and then back on the road again Monday, Kansas State. That's always a tough place to play. They've had some bad moments there, especially recently too. And we did the math here, Chris. 8-22 and 22 in their last 30 Big 12 road games. Hmm. 12 and 26 in their last 38 road games period. They were really good in the road last year. This year, not so much. Games on ESPN two. The only Big 12 now, the ESPN Plus stuff games for the rest of the year. Both games against TCU. So I don't know what that says about TCU, but there you go. Jamie Dixon. Mm-hmm. Box office. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Mike Casaza, and I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.